Hey, good morning. Quick update on the road. Entering plans will be submitted Monday or Tuesday. They have a couple weeks to jostle things around and we'll go from there, checking off the list. So that's your update. Uh, there's an opportunity I wanna quickly let you know about. On the 18th of November, we're doing this thing called Thrive. So it's for anyone who's married, because if you're newly married, you need help. Let's just admit it, all right? Everyone can use help. If you've been married for 20 years, things can get into patterns. Have you noticed that? Your wife asks you, how was your day? Well, I woke up and I shaved. I drove to work, I worked, and I came home. How was your day, right? You can kind of get in that. So Thrive is to give some tools and some ideas that we all need to make sure that our marriages don't just survive, but they thrive. So that's, you can sign up November 18th. Let's pray. Jesus. The prophet Daniel said that believers will shine like the stars. That there is a theme in scripture that declares what we are to be, our destiny. If we could comprehend it, it would blow our minds. That it's like comparing a seed to a redwood tree. It's incomparable. We can't even understand it. We can't put it into words, the Bible says. That's our destiny. And I pray for each of us as believers that that destiny, that hope would be an anchor for our soul to keep us tethered and close and secure in the storms of life and in the rising tide of this culture. So this morning, as we study, we pray that you would retether us, that you'd plant our feet firmly on the rock away from shifting sand. So speak through Philippians. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So I'm gonna begin this message with a joke. I don't normally use like canned jokes. It's not my style, but it'll hopefully make sense. So there's this little boy, he's in his backyard. He has a bat and he has a ball. And he declares, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he takes that ball and he throws it up and grabs that bat and he swings and he misses. And he says, strike one, picks up the ball, holds it, says, I'm the greatest hitter in the whole world. Throws it up, this time swings even harder, misses. Strike two, he said, picks up the ball. I'm the greatest hitter in the whole world. Throws up the ball, keeps his eye on that ball, grabs that bat, swings as hard as he can and misses. 
Strike three. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. I say that because I told that joke many years ago, June 11th, 2006, to start a message. Probably the only times I've ever began a message with a joke. And the reason why I told that joke on June 11th, 2006 was this. Edgewater was not even a year old. Within that first year, my mom, who was a picture of health at 62 years of age, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, given a year to live, and she died in six weeks. Then just a few months after that, my older brother, driving out on Upper River Road, hit a telephone pole and died. And so June 11th, 2006, after I'd taken off a couple of weeks, was the first time I came back and I preached after that. And it just happened to be my older brother's birthday. It's the way things are. And so I began with that little story because my whole point was simple. Life is about perspective. Everything's about perspective. You can have the perspective that I'm a failure because I struck out, or you can have the perspective of I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Life is perspective. So we are right now in the book of Philippians. And Philippians, to me, is the happiest book on earth. And we're looking at these ideas that are contained in Philippians because of how much rejoicing and joy and gladness is in this book, because we're trying to figure out how do you do that in the midst of bad situations? How do we have a perspective, which is what Paul's going to talk about? Last week, it was there are friendships and a way to do friendships that will breathe life into you. Do friendships like this, Paul says. Now, Paul, at the end of chapter one, he's going to say, life is perspective. And if you have this kind of perspective, it leads to happy lives, okay? So here's the context. Here's what the original readers of this book would be thinking. Paul has, like no one else, given his life into service for Jesus Christ. He is 100% sold out for the gospel, nothing held back, no compromise, nothing. No one even close to Paul at this point in life. And what is the reward for this kind of service? He's rotting in a prison cell. Most likely facing a death sentence. So the churches would be looking at this and thinking, wow, that's how God rewards his faithful servants? You give like this and you end up like Paul? That's unfair. It would be discouraging to anyone else to give their hearts and lives like Paul did. And don't we ask the same questions of our life? This is unfair. God, why is this happening to me? I believe you're all loving and all powerful and all knowing. So why is this happening to me? Paul's answer is unbelievably brilliant. He says it's perspective. Step back and get a Bible perspective. That's what he's going to say. And he does it in four kind of waves. And we're gonna look at those. Number one, Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me 
bad stuff, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Perspective number one, your cup is at least half full. That's what Paul's saying right here. Remember, Paul had a desire to go to Rome. He'd always had that desire. Paul was, hey, I'm gonna travel up to Rome. We are gonna rent out the Colosseum. We're gonna throw this massive crusade and thousands of people will get saved and churches will start. That's what Paul thought was gonna happen. What actually happened to him? He gets arrested, gets thrown in jail, gets forgotten about for a long time. Finally, he's like, okay, I appeal to Caesar, gets put on a boat that gets shipwrecked in a massive storm, floats to an island, gets on the island, tries to build a fire, gets bit by a snake, right? Just bad, 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 bad. And now he's sitting in a prison cell in Rome. That's where he's at. And he's under watch of the imperial guard. This is the guard that takes care of Caesar, right? It's the secret service of ancient Rome. And he says something. He goes, the gospel is become known throughout the whole imperial guard. For two years, he's been under house arrest and he's in a prison cell. It's the bottom of a house would have a prison in it. He's in there and he's chained to a guard. And that guard would be, would be renewed, changed every about four to six hours. So over two years, guess how many guards he would have chained to him? About 4,000. 4,000 opportunities for Paul to do what Paul does, right? And guess what Paul's talking about? He's not talking about the weather. He's not talking about the gladiator games. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the gospel, right? So the guards are like, oh man, I gotta be chained to Paul again. Golly, who's the real prisoner here? Like, ah, this is, right? What happens? Chapter four, verse 22, the whole place gets saved. Everyone is like, everyone in Caesar's palace says hello. They're all Christians now, right? That's what Paul is saying. Yes, this is unfair. Yes, it's been brutal on my body. Yes, I eat garbage all the time. Yes, it hurts to sleep on a stone floor, totally. But you know what? Wow, the secret service is saved now. We're infiltrating the highest echelons of the Roman empire. It has advanced the gospel. And what's so amazing about this is it was Paul's testimony during this time. He's chained to somebody 24 seven. They watch how he eats. They watch how he interacts with other prisoners. They watch how he sleeps. They watch how he wakes up. How do you wake up in the morning? Are you happy? Are you grumpy? Are you a rooster? A rooster is the only animal that wakes up in the morning screaming. Ah! You're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> right? 24 seven, they're with Paul. And they go, whatever you have, I want it. If someone was chained to me 24 seven for two years, would they say to me, Matt, whatever you have, I want. Would they say that? How about you? Would they say that about you? Because you know what? Our witness shines brightest, not when things are awesome and good. 
Not when you got the house and Lamborghini and the trophy spouse and your kids are doing brilliantly and your health is perfect. That's not when your light shines bright. You know when your light shines bright? When you're in prison unfairly. That's when people wanna say, does what you believe actually make a difference? Not when it's easy. Anyone can have a great life when it's easy. They wanna know, does it make a difference when it's unfair and you're shipwrecked and you're bit by a snake? and everyone abandons you, does it make a difference there? And it did in Paul. It's like Job. Job says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That's when his light shone bright. And I'll say this, I've said it once before. On earth, you and I have a unique privilege that we will not have in the ages to come. We have a unique privilege like Job, like Paul, that we can offer praise in pain. Because in the age to come, there'll be no pain. Only in this time, only in this day, only in this life, do we have the opportunity to say like Job, you give and you take away, but blessed be your name. It's only now. And that gives you a capacity that's going to echo into eternity that makes a different eternity for you and I. Paul gets it right here. He goes, listen, have a perspective. He's saying it in prison, unfairly, possibly gonna be killed. He goes, have a perspective that your cup is at least half full. That's number one. Number two, he says this, verse 13, 15. Some indeed, so people are boldly proclaiming the gospel. Verse 14, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put forth for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Number two perspective, judo theology. Paul now, if you know his story, he's the big name in Christianity. He's gone viral. He is the influencer of all Christianity, right? He's a best-selling author. It's, he's big time. He is the man. All of a sudden, he is taken out and he's put in prison. So you have these other less good people that are like, Woohoo! Hey, we can get market share right now. Hey, we can move in, edge in on his thing, right? We can, we can be parasites. We can be pirates and kind of steal his thunder right now. And so that's what they start doing. And they minister out, not out of good motives. It's out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and wanting to afflict Paul, right? That's bad. So if you're here and you think church and pastors and ministry, it's all pure and perfect and holy. Newsflash. You've probably been a believer for about 60 seconds and that's not the way it is. There are bad motives in ministry, bad kind of people in ministry that are selfish, envious, rivalry, that are looking to actually hurt people by proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, right? Here's the good news. That means 
any one of us can be involved in ministry, right? <laughs> There's the good news in it. You don't have to be perfect to be a pastor. In fact, there is no perfect pastor. So Paul's saying, all right, my perspective is this. Praise the Lord that the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. That's all I care about. What are people talking about? Jesus, perfect, Paul would say. How good is that? Let's try to move that into the 21st century. Has uh, anyone here seen the series, The Chosen? Okay, I haven't seen it. I only read my Bible and pray, that's all I do. So, <laughs> I'm so kidding. I just haven't watched it, I mean, but I get emails from people on it. And the emails are, hey, the chosen, right? It's got Mormonism creeping into it. They take too much latitude with the gospel and that wasn't in the Bible or whatever it is, right? So I get them all the time. And I wanna just email back and say, yeah, but what are we talking about right now? We're talking about Jesus. I think Paul would say, praise the Lord. We're talking about Jesus, right? Praise the Lord. It's open up door. Is it perfect? No, nothing is. My message today will not be perfect, right? I will make mistakes. I will say things not exactly the way they should be said. That's gonna happen, right? The only way I would ever preach a perfect message is if all I did was read the Bible. That was it. And even in reading the Bible, I'll probably stumble a couple of times, right? That's it. Anytime I start talking, okay, there's latitude to not be perfect. Paul says, praise the Lord. The name of Jesus is being discussed. That's all that matters. And Paul knew their motives were bad. It wasn't even questioning, is chosen good or bad? I'm not sure about that. Paul's like, these guys are bad, envious, selfish. They wanna hurt me. They're rivalry. They're just trying to steal stuff out of right, what I have worked for. They're just trying to grab my market share. He's like, fine, because the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. Now, how could Paul have that kind of perspective? One way, Judo theology. Now, if you've been here any time, you know what this is. Judo is that martial art where you use the momentum of the enemy against him. So let's say this, I preached this message three times today. Doug, who is our sound guy, he's just had it the third time. That is not a perfect message. So he, halfway through my message in the 11 o'clock, jumps over the sound booth, comes running at me, and he's gonna pound me into this stage. But I know Judo and three other Japanese words. When he's about ready to pound me, I just sidestep him, and then I throw him right through this plate glass window. That's judo. It's using the momentum of the enemy against himself. This is what God does over and over and over again. Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his 10 brothers, that's evil, that's selfish. That's bad. But in reflecting on it, Genesis 50, 20, what does Joseph say? What you meant for evil, God has turned to good, to the saving of many lives. There's Judo theology. And you see it, it just echoes from that point out throughout scripture. Moses, the Nile River is the source of death. The babies are being thrown into the Nile River. Moses is, if you would, thrown into the Nile River in a little boat, floated down. His name literally means drawn out. He is drawn out of the place of death for babies, and he becomes the redeemer and saver of Israel. 
It's just over and over, you just see it. That's what God does. That God is great enough to take evil, which he does not cause, and to work it for an occasion of his grace. That's the powerful God that we serve. This is what Paul knew, Judo-theology. And I've seen it in Edgewater, early on in Edgewater. Glenn Litweller, who, amazing man. There was, I don't know of a pastor that was more tenacious for people that were hurt and broken. He would just not give up on them. And I saw early on within the first months of Edgewater, there was a gal, single mom, kids, down on her luck, just not, not having a good time. Glenn grabbed a hold of her and a crew just began to help her, got her a car for free, got her a house to live in, clothes for her kids, school supplies, right? Just set this mom up with her kids above and beyond. And then she just disappeared. And I was mad because I don't like being used. Glennie's like, no, no, don't worry about it, Matt. It's no problem. Well, six months later, we get a call from a judge. Turns out she's in court. I'm like, she's in court right now? I'm heading down there. I want to get our money back, right? Well, here's what happened. She's in court and the judge is saying, where'd you get the car? Because he's wondering, was there some illegal activity that took place that you got this stuff? And she said, well, Edgewater gave it to me. How'd you get in the house? Well, Edgewater got me in the house. Where'd you get the clothes? Oh, Edgewater helped me get those clothes, right? And he's like, wait, time out. So he stops, goes back into his office, calls us up, talks to Glenn. Hey, is this true? Did you get the, yeah, 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 yeah. And then this judge starts to cry. And he says, I've heard Edgewater helps people. Can you please help my son? Of course we did. Now what happened right there? Judo theology. God snuck Edgewater into a place, hopefully Edgewater never is, in a courtroom, right? That's what God does. Don't we know that? So I remember like we were meeting in Fruitdale Elementary School the first year, you know, just that first winter and things are going great. We're 800 people and wow, this is amazing. God's doing great things. And then I get a call from the principal and the principal of Fruitdale Elementary said, hey, um, in the summer times, you can't use the gym because we move everything out of the classrooms. We put them all in the gym and then we deep clean all the classrooms so you can't meet here. I'm like, where do you meet with 800 people? Like, oh no, this is the end of the world, right? Ah, well, Road Community College. And we started this rhythm at Edgewater of you know, wintertime at Fruitdale Elementary School and then summertimes out at the Road Community College. And it was based on that kind of rhythm of Edgewater that we said, hey, when we build a building, how do we maintain that kind of rhythm, the, the inside-outside rhythm? And it was that phone call from that principal that gave us these three doors that open, right? Because that's what God does. He takes what the enemy would want to use for evil and he turns it for good because that's how great God is. The bigger the problem we have, it's the greater the opportunity for God to take it and to work it for something good. This is what Paul is saying, due to theology. Yeah, they meant it for evil, no big deal because the name of Jesus is being proclaimed and his name being proclaimed is all that matters. You want happiness? Understand due to theology. Have that perspective. Thirdly, and in that I rejoice, verse 19. And yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I love that phrase, partnership, right? 
your prayers, you gotta be part of it, and the spirit of Jesus Christ. This will turn out for my deliverance. Judo theology is gonna happen. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Third perspective. It's a win-win. Or Paul would put it, it's a rejoice, rejoice. Did you see this kind of wrestling match right here Paul's having in his head? We're kind of getting it. He's putting it down on paper. He has this wrestling match, right? To die and to go be, be with Christ. Man, that would be awesome. But to live and to stay with you would be great. So I don't really know which one. I'm hard pressed between these two. I don't know. It's a win-win, right? It's not about a trivial matter. He's not talking about the color to paint his house. He's not talking about something important like what job should I take or um, what where, where should I move or where should I live or what career should I get myself involved in? Important things. This is the question. Should I live or, live or die? And what does Paul say? They're both wins. That's a crazy perspective, is it not? To live or to die, it's both a win in Paul's head. This is for me one of the most important things you can ever grasp. The biggest robber of happiness, you know what it is? It's called Goldilocks syndrome. You know Goldilocks? Stumbling through the woods, she finds a bear house, goes in the bear house and no, this soup is too hot and this bowl is too big and this bed is too soft and this bed is too hard. Instead of being like, wow, I got a bed and food. Ha <laughs> ha, this is awesome, right? No, she's, she has to have it perfect. In the original story, perhaps you know this, when the bears come home, guess what they do? They eat her, right? That's what happens when you and I try to dial all the dials just perfect in life to get it right. Because guess what? There's no perfect. You get it perfect today, guess what happens? Things change tomorrow. It's James chapter four. Good luck with that, he says. Yeah, you're not gonna get it perfect. Deo Valente, trust God. If God wills, you're not in control as much as you think you are. Be careful of Goldilocks syndrome where we think we can just kind of get it perfect. We live east of Eden today. Our hearts desire perfection because they were designed for it, but we don't live in Eden anymore. And whenever you see in the Bible, east movement, east is always towards evil. Babylon was east. It's evil, the evil empire. We live east of Eden. There is no perfection today. Do you know that? If you're dating there is no perfect dude or perfect gal. Do you know that? Please get that in your head. If you're looking for your soulmate, you will find him or her right next to a unicorn and a Oompa Loompa. 
right? Good luck. Jobs, right? Anyone here have the perfect job? I want the record to show that every Edgewater employee raised their hand. Please know that. <laughs> right? You got every employee is your best friend. None of them annoy you. They're awesome. Your boss is Jesus. You only do things that you love. You never have to do anything you don't like, right? It just fits you perfectly. It's a dream job. Yes, it is, because you're still asleep. That's the only way you get that job, right? Perfect house. Anyone have the perfect house? There's nothing you want to change on that house. No way, right? If it is the perfect house, you'll get new neighbors. <laughs> or you'll get your tax bill. You're like, ah, I want a less perfect house. <laughs> okay, I can go on and on and on and on. Is there a perfect church? If there is, don't join it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> right? And yet the heart of a human is built to try to dial everything to perfection and that will rob you of the joy that's there right now. And Ecclesiastes 2 to me is the ultimate example of Goldilocks syndrome. You have a man with a power that is unprecedented in history because he's a king. He can do whatever he wants. And chapter two is just him saying, I tried to Goldilocks it, man. I built my house. Seven years he worked on his house. I might have been working on my house seven years too. Yeah, his was different. Not a single White and Williams that he was fixing up. It's a house that 10,000 people worked on every day for seven years. That's gonna be a pretty brilliant house, right? He says he dug lakes. Like the topography of Israel was moved and changed by Solomon, right? Lake Tahoe, yeah, I dug it. Uh-huh, that's what I did. Like that level of landscaping. He threw parties at his house. And there was an account in First Kings of the amount of food that is brought into his house every day, it was enough food to feed 15,000 people. That's a party, right? Our little Halloween shindig was awesome, kindergarten compared to Solomon. Ladies, he married a thousand women. Enough said, right? That's Goldilocks in it right there. Because in chapter seven, he says this, of a thousand women, I still have not found the one. How telling is that verse? Ecclesiastes 7.28, circle it, underline it. It's going to be 1,001. She'll be it. Dude, are you kidding? Because he's trying to go to Locke's life. So at the end of chapter two, here's what Solomon says. After he tries to spin all the dials in a way you and I could never do, he says this, I hate my life. Why? Because he had a capacity to dial it like you and I only dream of. And when he did it, he said, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that same story... It's one of my favorite chapters because that same chapter has been repeated in every human heart to different levels for thousands of years. Anyone heard of John Lennon? Huh? Right, Beatles, greatest band ever? I don't know, you know. I think it's Bob Dylan, but hey, who knows, right? Keith Green. But many would say, Beatles, greatest ever. Listen to this quote by John Lennon. Money can't buy me love. It's true. The point is this, I want happiness. I don't want to keep on with the drugs. Explain to me what Christianity can do for me. Is it phony? Can he love me? I want out of this hell. There's a dude who could dial it up 
And what does he say? I just want happiness and I'm in hell. Paul here is giving you and me such a brilliant understanding. Listen, life is a win-win. Happiness is being flexible, right? Paul is to me the all-star of flexibility when it comes to life. Like everything's a win-win for him. It must have just driven his enemies insane, right? They're like, Paul, we are going to kill you. He's like, great, to die is gain. How do you want to do it, right? Well, we're going to let you live. Perfect, to live is Christ. I'm going to live then. Well, we're going to beat you up and put you in prison. Awesome. Me and Silas will go down there at midnight, start singing praises. Thank you for the opportunity, right? We're going to take away all your money. Philippians 4, I've been rich and I've been poor. Looks like I'm poor again. Okay, we're going to kill your friends. Ah, they made it home first. Right? Just insane. It's a win-win. That's his perspective on everything. How could he have that kind of perspective? Because he's a Christian. Listen to Romans 8, 28. For we know that for those who love God, most things, some things, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's how. Paul had seen it happen over and over in his life. He's like, it's a win-win. I'm just telling you, it's a win-win. We'll see it in the end, but it's a win-win. That's what's gonna happen. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you love God, if you're not actively pursuing sin, because the one thing that will take away your happiness, sin, right? Pleasurable for a season and is destruction. But if you love God, called according to his purpose, doing it, then guess what? It's a win-win. I think we stress out about all these things. And God's just saying, it's a win-win, Matt. What job should I take? Where should I move? What, what? And God's like, I don't really care what you do on those things. Can I use you when you get there? Will you be involved in the kingdom? That's what's most important. We get stressed out because we're trying to dial everything right. You won't. Look at life, like Paul did. It's a win-win because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and God is great enough to work this stuff for his good pleasure and for my joy, right? And then lastly, he says this. New Bible, when I read this, I underlined it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That pierced me. Whew, Is my life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Not even close. Oh, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still Here's the final one. Tag, you're it. Tag, you're it. What's Paul saying right here? Go get your own testimony. 
I've got my testimony. I'm watching God work in me. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's leading to joy and happiness in the midst of hardship. Go get your own testimony. And he gives us some guidelines for it, right? Stand firm in the faith. Have some lines in the sand because if you do not, the tide of this culture will wipe you out and take you out to sea. Have some lines in the sand, non-negotiables, period, because they're being erased one after another after another. Stand firm. Strive side by side. Be in a battalion of believers that are leading change in your life and in those that are around you, in the community. Side by side, battalion of faith. Do that. No fear. Do not be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind. Don't be afraid of all this stuff. News, elections, right? Vote, 100% vote. But I'm not afraid because Jesus is king, right? No fear, no spirit of fear. Vote, absolutely, please do. Vote for righteousness. I want righteous people to rule. Yeah, but I'm not afraid, okay? So this is what he's saying. And then he ends by saying, it's a gift to you. A guy who knows suffering, it's a gift for you to suffer like me. How radical is this? I mean, this is crazy. Couple notes on it. Number one, I get to talk to people that are involved in ministry. Some of them local Pacific Northwest, America, um, and then some that live overseas and do overseas mission. It's always interesting to me in the conversations, what we talk about, right? So overseas missions, two weeks ago, met with Billy Graham Paulos. Wanted to have him here speaking. He had a previous engagement. So we just sat down and we talked. Guess what we talked about the whole time? What they're doing, testimony. And it's unbelievable. They, through their work, through their network, quite a ways away from their base, they found a leper colony, a shunned leper colony. And he's got this picture of all of them. They've got their hands in like this circle and there's a picture of all their hands, but they're not hands. They're all nubs because they've lost all their fingers. How do you do life? How do you do anything with nubs? And they're, they're just in rags because they're shunned. No one wants to get it. So they're just warehoused out in this place. And Body of Christ Ministries just said, no way. You guys are image bearers of God. And so they began to work with them and help them and feed them and clothe them. And then they started to get to save. And then a pastor said, man, I want to move there and I'm going to start a church here. They started a church there and more people came. And they said, you know what? We need to build a church here. And I built churches in India. And what we normally did was they're pretty cheap. You get some, some just round logs and you kind of make a quick structure and you weave some bamboo in them all and put some like tin on the roof and that's it. Not pretty, sand floor. They said, you know what? For this leper colony, we're gonna build the most beautiful church. And they did. Cement floor, cement walls, brilliant, beautiful. Why? They said, because these people deserve something beautiful in their life. It's amazing to me. You just go, oh, wow. Right? And then there, they, he, there's a fisher men village that's close to where they're at. And they started to just reach out to this fisherman village and they would talk to these men and these men work from the time it's dark, they leave when it's dark and they get home when it's dark and they do the seven days, 365. Like seven days a week, they're just, they're working. They got to work. You want to feed your family? You're working every day. Okay. That's the way it is. And these fishermen just said, I never see my kids. I leave when it's dark. I get home when it's dark. 
Stark and I hot. We have no electricity because it's built right on the ocean, right? So they said, we got to change this. So there's 250 little homes in there. So they bought 250 solar panels that charge up this little battery. And there's this little light in the middle of their huts now. And their last picture is this dude, this fisherman, just with this giant smile on his face as he's with his family in his home because he can see for the first time. He's like, oh, that's life transforming. But the heart-wrenching one was this garbage dump. And whatever image you have of a garbage dump from a third world country, that's this. As far as the eye can see, it's just mounds and mounds and mounds and mounds of garbage. And it's a long ways away from their base. They stumbled onto it and it's nasty. Seagulls, birds, just gross. And then there's this horde of these orphan kids that when a new truck comes in, they just grab a hold of it, jump on it, tear through it because they're looking for little bits of anything that they can take and sell to feed themselves. And the most horrendous picture was this girl. She's in this, it's just a septic pond, just this pond, and she's up to her neck and she's reaching around trying to feel something. But you can see she's gone underwater a number of times because there's trash and stuff in her hair. She's like, oh, heartbreaking. And then there's this one girl that something had happened or she got some kind of a disease and she was going bald. She's like 10 years old, going bald in the front. And then her skin is like rashy, scaly, just whatever you get from being in a dump too long, that's what she's got. So they're like, this is bad. You're getting sick. You're gonna die. So they took this girl and they put her in their van and they drove her to the local hospital and they go into the waiting room. And then the doctor comes out, sees the little girl and says, that's a dump orphan. Get her out of my hospital. I will not treat her. Now, why did they think that way? It's Hinduism. Hinduism is all about reincarnation. That you're reincarnated based on what you did in a previous life. So if you're reincarnated as a dump child, that must mean you were really bad in a previous life. So we don't have to even deal with you. We can ignore your pain. And that's what happens. But Body of Christ Ministries can't do that because we believe that every single person is an image bearer of God and worthy of dignity and respect. And so they swooped this girl up and they took her back to Body of Christ Ministries and they got her some medication and got her healthy. And the last picture is of this beautiful, brilliant, hair growing back, perfect skin, 10-year-old girl. And you just hear it and you're just, your heart's like, ah, wow, this is amazing. And I meet with, pastors from the Pacific Northwest. And guess what we talk about? What we're learning, what we know. Hey, did you hear about this theology? Hey, have you read this guy? Have you listened to this guy? Hey, what do you think about deconstructionism? Hey, what do you think about, right? That's what we talk about, what we know. And I love that. I'm, I'm a book guy. But man, there's something powerful and impacting in your heart when you hear about the great things that God is doing. It's gotta be both. So Paul here says, go get your own testimony. Go get it. Stand firm in the faith. Get a battalion of believers that are with you. You want a battalion of believers? Come tonight to, um, yeah, my mind is, I'm telling you, 50 is like, I don't know if it's like psychosomatic where I'm like making it happen to myself, but it's happening, game changers. So come tonight. To game changers. Great way to meet some guys, talk about mission, talk about what you can possibly do, get involved, right? There's an opportunity for men right there. So get a battalion.
Stand for the faith. Don't be afraid. They can't do anything to you. Are you kidding? That makes your opponents be like, what in the world? They love not their lives even under death. That's how the ancient church overcame evil. And then lastly, he says this. It's been granted to you to suffer like me. Gifted. Hey, church at Philippi, it's a gift for you to suffer just like me. Why would Paul say that? And he knew about suffering at a level very few people know. Why would he say that? I think here's why. One of my favorite artists is Leonardo da Vinci. He was an art guy and an engineer. My high school senior year, uh, Mrs. Rice, my art teacher said, you should not be an engineer, you should be an artist. I'm like, artist? No, they don't make any money. I don't think I can pay my bills. I think I'll be an engineer, right? So love art though. And Leonardo da Vinci, he, he combined those two, right? And he has this painting. It's actually just a sketch. And the sketch is brilliant. Here it is right here. And yes, I added shorts to him because it's a family, family friendly service. So <laughs> we put shorts on him. <laughs> it's... Siamese twins is what this is. And the name of it is pain and pleasure. And what da Vinci writes is pain and pleasure come from the same root. That the greatest pleasures you'll have in life is because you had great pain in life. That they're linked like that. And if you think for a second, how true is that? What's the most pleasurable drink of water you've ever had? when you're pained with thirst beyond imagination, right? It's like the capacity gets better. What's the best itch you've ever had? When you had like an itch on your butt and you're in the middle of like a really important thing and you can't, and you're like, oh, and finally you get away, you're like, oh, oh, praise God, right? I'm just being honest here. Maybe too honest for you. Right? They're intertwined. This is what Paul has found in his life, in her twine. Augustine said this. He said, everywhere, a greater joy is preceded by a greater suffering. Like ancient people, they knew this. They realized this. Athletics. If Alabama wins another national championship, is that great? No. Now, if Oregon State, decades and millennia of suffering wins one now, that's great. <laughs> right? Suffering, Paul says, is a gift that increases your capacity for enjoyment, for gladness, for happiness. That's what it does. So he says, it's a gift that these light afflictions are but for a moment, but they're working for you and me and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. That's a perspective. This is brilliant right here. You want happiness? Man, your cup is at least half full. Know that. Know God's judo theology, that he can take what the enemy wants to use for evil and he can turn it for good. It's a win-win with the believers. Romans 8, 28. And go get your testimony. Tag your it. Start seeing what God can do through you, right? That's brilliant. So as you go to the table, there's one little phrase that I didn't touch on and I'll briefly touch on it. And I have it underlined in my Bible. It's verse 21. 
He says, for me, to live is Christ. One of the most quoted verses from Philippians. Paul's saying, life for me is Christ. What is your life? For you, to live is, what's the blank? To live is my job, my reputation, my marriage, my kids, my family, money, sex, power, whatever. The way you know what your blank is to live is blank. It's if you lost this, life would have no meaning anymore. That's what you know what you live for. And when I come to church, I'm reminded the rhythm of church is so good at this. I'm reminded all those things are shifting sand. If I build on that, the dials of life will change and that won't matter anymore. Only Christ is eternal and lasting and solid and unchanging. Then I get back to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to me. Joy, happiness is part of the package for me to live. It's Christ. And so Jesus today, we come knowing our own frailty. knowing how easily we forget what is solid and unmoving and become shackled to shifting sand. And so today as we eat, may we be able to declare for me to live as Christ.